Do you ever feel like you're in the middle of a storm? You ever go through a moment in your life where you're just like, what's going on? Everything around me seems to be stopping what I want to happen in my life or what God wants to happen in your life. Well, if that's you, you're not alone. This is the episode to tune into. Stay tuned for The Deep End. Happy Tuesday evening to all. Welcome in to your favorite night of the week on Tuesday. And it might be um, like 100 degrees out there today, but it is raining in the Deep End Studio. (laughs) Raining in the Deep End Studio. Why? Because this is our theme for the evening. This is our theme for this part of Acts. And I am excited to get into this uh, content today. But before we get any further, let's talk about this. Like and subscribe to the video. Let me know you're watching in the comments. I always pay attention to the comments. Love the comments. Thank you for the comments. Uh, Hit the thumbs up button and hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Make sure you're aware of when we go live and post new content. Thanks for joining us. WEZE 590 Boston, FM 99.5 in Rhode Island, Spotify, and all the other audiences, Facebook and YouTube. Glad you're here. Well, we've got uh, this new thing going on. It's the Serve Team Spotlight, and I want to get right to it. So watch this. Hey, my name is Marty. I am the creative director from Norwood, and I'm here uh, with Melissa, one of our volunteers in Norwood for our serve team spotlight. Um, So welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to talk to you briefly. Um, You serve in Waters Kids, and you also serve on the worship team. Mm -hmm. Um, Two completely different ends of the spectrum. So how how did you come to to decide to work in those two areas? Right when I got in, I like knew that I wanted to help out, Um, and so, because I was going to go to college for to be a teacher, I was like, oh, best way to start getting my feet wet is to help out at church. Yeah. So I kind of went into it with that, like kind of a way to help myself learn how to be a teacher. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, you said something interesting. Um, you said like shortly after you joined the church, you just wanted to get involved. Yeah. Um, that's different because a lot of people join a ministry and they're like, no, I want to sit. I want to take nine months to adjust to the culture. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but what made you want to get involved right away? Growing up in church, um, you know, I always was involved in church. And so it was just kind of like, oh, new setting, new new church. Let me just jump right in. If there was a new parent here um, that was kind of on the fence about sending their child into the orange room, because that's where you work. Yeah. What would you say to them to make them realize how important Waters Kids is, how special it is? Like, what what should a parent know? I still remember the stories that I was taught when I was a kid. Same. Um, I can still remember the, the movies that they you would show. almost smell the room, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can see the video. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I can see I... the Jesus movie <laughs> that I used to watch. It's a little stick-up. Right. Um, and so I think that Knowing that that really sticks with you, that's something that we can share with parents um, so that they can feel um, like reassured that what we're doing here really does like plant a seed that keeps on growing for Mm -hmm. years to come. 
if you could say something to people who are like on the fence, I want to volunteer, I love kids, I don't know if I love kids, but I want to get involved and I'm thinking about Waters Kids, um, what would you say is like one piece of advice to kind of push them over that line and make it a yes? One thing that has been like, what can I do for you, Jesus? Mm. What is something that I can do for you? Because you've given me everything, Literally. right? Yep. And so if you're kind of on the fence of like volunteering, just think of it as like, you're doing this unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. You're doing it for Him. And every, you know, we're all members of one body in Christ. Yes. You know, so we can feed ourselves. Yes, awesome. Feed yourself, mm -hmm. go, to, go to church, be in the service, but also know that you have to feed other members of the body, right? And yeah. the children are part of this body. Sure. And so we need to invest in them as well, just as much as we invest in ourselves. We're looking for more volunteers for Waters Kids Norwood. So if that is you, reach out. You can go on waterschurch.org. Um, you can go on waterschurchnorwood.org, waterschurch.guide. You can find us on Facebook. Um, but we are looking for volunteers in Waters Kids. So uh, uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I actually think you're on the Orange Room this week. All right. <laughs> <laughs> see? See that? Um, it's a good lesson. It's a fun one. And there's no paint. So don't worry. Uh, but thank you so much for joining right, us. Thank you. All right. God bless. And we always love our Waters Kids ministry team. And if you are interested, make sure you stop by or visit or vi stop by our Info Central in our uh, in our campuses or visit waterschurch.org slash serve. Waterschurch.org slash serve. It doesn't get any easier than that. And when you serve Christ and you serve that next generation, great, my friends is your reward in heaven. Okay, well, I am going to take you on a journey today. This is an exciting chapter in the book of Acts. And again, have you ever felt like you were in a storm? We're going to get to it right after this message to the book of Acts. The Deep End with Tim Hatch is made possible by contributions from listeners and viewers like you. If you would like to partner with us to support this ministry, you can go to thedeepend.tv forward slash partner or on the Cash App with hashtag TV. Hey, let me just thank you, everybody who has supported us financially on the deep end. Make sure you do that if you haven't already. We're so glad that you've done that. We're so hel uh, so helped by your financial support. Make sure you drop us something. Anything helps because we're going to be revamping this entire set pretty soon for season four. I'm excited for it, and I know you are too. It's going to really be great. Got a lot of things to talk about concerning that in the next few weeks. But we are almost at the end of the book of Acts, and it is Acts chapter 27 and 28 uh, today, not finishing off today. So we will be back, not next week, but two weeks from now. If you are a member of Waters Church, there is a block party happening next Tuesday night. We don't want to muddy the waters there, so skip the deep end, come to the block party, get some food, truck food, and find out how you can be involved at Waters Church. But today, the book of Acts, chapter 27, and I tell you about this message, staying strong through the storm. Staying strong. Don't you love the sound effects? Media team, I can do stuff too. Creative arts over there. All right, okay. <laughs> Staying strong through the storm. God is sovereign Woo. over the ups and downs. It might be 98 degrees out there today, but how many know it's not always going to be bright and sunny? Not always going to be bright and sunny in the weather. It's not always going to be bright and sunny in your life. There's going to be storms. Storms happen. Acts chapter 27 is a story about a ship in a storm carrying the Apostle Paul 
to Rome, and he's on his way to Rome because he has appealed to Caesar after six trials. Six times this guy goes on trial for his life because he was preaching the gospel and people don't want him to preach the gospel. And six times he is found neither guilty nor innocent, even though he is innocent. And so now he's on his way to finally plead and fight for his case before the highest uh, authority in the land, Caesar himself. In Acts chapter 27, thus the sound effects, is a story of a storm that meets the Apostle Paul and those traveling with him, Luke being one of them who wrote the book of Acts. And I want to just open up with this conversation today before we get into the text. Because this, the emphasis of uh, Acts chapter 21 through 28 is really on Paul going to the Gentiles permanently. The Jews are rejecting Jesus. The Jews are not receiving it. And, and, and for whatever reason, God is going to now use this to bring the gospel to the nations. People like you, if you're not Jewish, people like me, I'm not Jewish, okay? And, and the emphasis and the promise that God made to the Apostle Paul back in Acts chapter 23, Acts chapter 23, 11, was this. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. The word of promise that Jesus gave to Paul the Apostle was, you're going to go to Rome. You're going to make it. You're going to get there. I'm going to get you to the greatest city in the world at the time, Paul. So just hang tight. But let me ask you this question. When God has spoken to you, have you ever been through a season in which it feels like what he said wasn't going to happen? God gave you a promise. He gave you a promise of a beautiful family, and you just feel like it's never going to happen. God gave you a promise of finally getting your bills paid, your debts paid, and getting financially stable, and it just seems like it's never going to happen. Or God gave you a promise that you were going to move to that area or start that business or finally get out of that addiction or whatever that thing is that's holding you captive, and it just doesn't seem like it is happening. Or maybe you feel sometimes like you're just not just stuck, but you're attacked. You're, you're surrounded by all kinds of storms. Storms happen. Storms happen. And the, chapter, and, the, and the question of Acts chapter 27 is this. The question is this. In the midst of a storm, can God get you where he called you? In the midst of a storm, can God get you where he called you? What do you do when it seems like you're not going to make it? For the last six months, the world has been in a storm, has it not? It has been in a storm of COVID-19 and racial tensions and political tensions, and it seems like it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And maybe you feel like, man, everything around me, just a storm. Maybe you're going on top of all this other national global storm, you're going through a personal storm. Maybe you've lost friends or loved ones because of COVID-19 or some other sickness or some other disease. Maybe you've lost a job or benefits. Maybe you're about to lose benefits. Maybe you've been uh, through some tough relational issues and some people have been walking out of your life, people who said they were going to be with you and they're no longer there. Or maybe you just feel overwhelmed emotionally. A lot of people are. I read this. I found this on Gallup polls, a poll of Americans, July 6th to 12th. So this is a recent poll. Question, what's your impression of the coronavirus situation in the U.S. today? 46% says it's going to get a lot worse, or it is a lot worse. 46%, almost half of America think it's a lot worse. And endless news cycles doesn't do us any favors. It just constantly overloads us with all the things that could possibly kill you. Question number two, which of these do you think is better advice right now for people who do not 
have symptoms, who do not have symptoms. 68% said stay home. <laughs> 70, almost 70% of Americans say stay home. In other words, stay stuck, stay in your rooms, even if you don't have symptoms. Uh, this, was, this was in the Gallup poll as well. Things people avoided because uh, of the concern about the coronavirus in the last seven days. 62% avoided going to public places, stores, or restaurants. 62% said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to stores or public places or restaurants. 53% uh, avoided friend or family gatherings. 77% avoided events with any large crowds. That's understandable. 73% avoided traveling by train, plane, uh, bus, or subway. And this is really incredible about our current culture right now, that people are just so stuck. The storm of coronavirus just doesn't seem to want to go away, right? Just doesn't seem to want to go away. And here's the thing. I want to remind you of something, Christian. If you're a Christian, this is for you. If you're not a Christian, it will apply to you when you become a Christian. I want to remind you of something. God is true to his promises, and if you're a Christian, he has called you to his purposes. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I love that passage because it says, listen, you've got a destiny in God if you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not just interested in getting you to heaven. He's interested in getting you to fulfill the destiny that he has called you to, to be conformed into his image, to become more like Jesus. And you have a calling. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says, To this end we pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. In other words, there's things for you to do. There's things for you to work. There's things for you to accomplish. God knows it. God has planted this in your future. And he's going to make it happen. But if we're honest, there are times when it seems like it will never come to pass. The storm is come into our lives and they seem overwhelming. The ship looks like it's going to sink. The family's going to suffer. The economy's going to collapse or it's never going to come back. Or the country's going to go in down the tubes, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to fill your mind with. And you think, this is it. But I'm here to tell you, and this is a great episode for you to tune into. I'm here to tell you, I want to be that voice in the midst of the storm that says, God who called you is going to be faithful to bring you to the place he has called you to. Acts chapter 27 is very special to me. It's very special to me because I preached this passage when I was going through a real tough time in uh, my own life. I was really going through a tough time. A lot of people were walking out of my life. A lot of people were challenging me and a lot of situations were happening around my family and my, uh, my, my, my church. And I didn't know if I was really cut out for this job. It was many, many years ago. I didn't really know if I was going to make it. I had this great dream. In fact, the building where we are filming this right now, the building that's over 100,000 square feet, that God actually, in 2008, gave me a word when I walked through this building that this building would be our churches. And I thought, what? This, that would be amazing if this building would be our church. And, and, and yet we went through the season shortly thereafter where I thought, okay, nope, actually all that stuff is rubbish and it's never going to happen. And I, did, I misheard from God and there's too many troubles, and there's too many trials and it's never going to be, this church is never going to have its own place. And I, and I struggled, man. I went through this season where I was just like, this is it. And the Lord brought me to Acts chapter 27. And I preached it on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday night Bible study. Remember old school Wednesday night Bible study? This is Wednesday night Bible study on your time. But back when we used to gather in the church and have Wednesday night Bible study, I preached on Acts chapter 27. And I preached on the title of how to maintain your vision when you're going through a storm. And I was really one of those messages, and this is, happens a lot with pastors, it was one of those messages where I was preaching to myself. 
And if anybody else got anything out of it, it was like a bonus. <laughs> and it was one of the most incredible nights of our church's life. It just, a spirit took root in our church. A spirit took root in my life. A spirit of positivity, a spirit of faith, a spirit of, yes, God is able to bring us through the storm and get us where he wants us. And I'm here to tell you, don't give up. Don't wane. Don't throw up your hands in the air. Don't let all what could happen stop you from making things happen. The best is yet to come. I'm fired up. Somebody get me a pulpit. I'm ready to preach. No, <laughs> I'm going to continue to teach. Let's get to this. Acts chapter 27, the storm of Paul's ship. Acts chapter 27, verse 1, here we go. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the port, uh, to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And the next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Okay, uh, Adramidium is the only word I want you to point. Uh, I want to point out here because this is a. Um, it means it's a cargo vessel. So they basically just shove Paul, Luke, and his companions on this cargo vessel to tre uh, trek him up to Rome for a trial before Caesar. And he's going to hit the seas, and he's going to hit some stormy weather. And it's amazing how this is a part of the book of Acts, isn't it? It's really an amazing book, because the book opens in Jerusalem with the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, all this stuff, and then Samaria and the miracles, and then um, to the cities of Asia Minor, Ephesus and Corinth and, and Athens and so on and so forth. And then suddenly it takes this turn to this sea voyage. Why? Well, I think that God knows that sea voyages make for good theater, Right? Think about some of the best movies that you've ever watched. One of my favorite is based right up here in uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts. It's called The Perfect Storm. I love that movie. If you've ever seen that movie, you got to watch that movie with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. Um, true story, based on a true story, of some uh, fishermen up in Gloucester who lost their lives in the middle of a perfect storm where several different weather systems collided at the same time, and bam, and it was a hope, hopeless cost, case for them, and they, and they all perished, unfortunately. But the, but the drama of that movie is fantastic. Some great acting. You should watch it. I love that movie. Uh, but think about like Titanic. It's such a, it's such a, um, a folklore. I, mean, I know it's a true story. I know it's historical, but it's just like, it's like, it's like American lore. Titanic. We can't get past this one ship that went down. Many other ships have gone down, many with more passengers. But, but that one kind of just sticks in our heads. It, it was just kind of like a, like a mythological tale because this ship was supposed to be unsinkable and on its very first voyage, it sinks. Or think of a great movie by the name of Jaws also also based here in Massachusetts. Uh, Jaws is the story. Really, most of the story, it looks like it's about a shark, but it's really about that voyage that they take to finally get the shark once and for all. Some of the best movies, some of the best stories have taken place on the ocean. Why? Why does that appeal to us so regularly? Well, it's because the storm, I'm sorry, it's because the ocean presents so much so much uh, possibility for trouble. It, it's really a symbol of the unknown. And if you think about it, um, human beings have this penchant for exploring the unknown. You know, you know we, we, we want to go to space now. Why? Because it's the final frontier, quote unquote. Right? It's, it's where we want to find out what's out there. Why are we here in America? Because people in Europe wanted to come to where we didn't know stuff. And, and so now we've kind of discovered this planet. Let's go discover other planets. We want to go where it's unknown. Second, the sea, it, it begs us to conquer it in some places. There's nothing more triumphant than, than crossing the ocean, than, than taking that, that journey into the unknown and winning. It's like, a, it's like the ultimate conquest. And, 
And then thirdly, I think it's a it's a bonding experience. When you when you go on a ship with someone, it's it's or on a journey like this with someone, it bonds you together. And I think that this story is a picture not just of the Apostle Paul, but of the church in every generation. Because in every generation, the church is made up of people who are going to be riding in the ship together through the unknowns and the ups and downs and the storms of life, and they're going to have to learn how to make it through together. And so I want to welcome you to this moment for you that you need to know and hear from me that you're not alone if you're in Christ on the sea in a ship. You've got friends, you've got brothers, you've got sisters, and we can do this together, and you need encouragement, and I need encouragement, and let's keep sailing forward in the sea of God's journey. Verse 4. And putting out to sea from, from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lysa, Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which was the city of Lycia. Now, continuing on, here we go. Verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. And the fast there is the Day of Atonement where the Jews would fast all day, afflicting their bodies for the sake of repentance and turning back to God. The fast was already over. And also, that's just to let us know that it is um, somewhere between late September and early November. And why is that important? Because during that time of the year, this part of the Mediterranean Sea was the most dangerous. It was the hardest and longest and most difficult journey at the time of late September to early November in the Mediterranean Sea. And that's exactly when they're sailing. So when the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out, from, uh, to, put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Okay. Paul is um, kind of brazen here, isn't he? he he's on a ship. He's not, he's not a nautical genius. He's a, he's a missionary. He's a tent maker. And he's like, wait a second, guys, I can see something. This is going to be a pretty bad uh, expedition. <laughs> and, and the people are like, who are you? You're a tent maker. You're some religious nutcase. We're not interested in what, what you have to hear. But you have to remember that Paul had experience at the sea. See, he wrote a book called 2 Corinthians before this voyage. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. So this guy, by the way, he was also from Tarsus, which was on the sea. This guy knew how to sail and when to sail and what sailing and uh, shipfaring was really like. But they don't listen to him. They're like, shut up, prisoner. Go away. We, we'll, we'll, we'll handle this. Well, that's going to come in handy in a little bit later. We'll just pay attention to what happens. Verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous, uh, tempestuous, sorry, tempestuous wind called the Northeaster. Now, up here in New England, we, about, we know about Nor'easters. This was a wind called the Northeaster. Uh, struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, and after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the uh, Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Now, there's a couple of passages, there's a couple of words that are key to this moment here. Here they are. 
All this descriptive language, by the way, is just proof again that Luke is recording history. He's not just kind of like writing a fable. But I want you to look at verse 15 in particular. Verse 15, uh, it says this, And when the ship was caught, the ship was caught and could not face the wind, and we gave way to it. Look at all this uh, uh, hopeless language. Uh, and we were driven along. And then uh, a little, little later there in verse 17, we were driven along. And I want to just let you know something about storms. Here's the, here's the fundamental fact. Storms happen. <laughs> storms happen. The language of verse 15 and 17 is intentional. The ship was caught. It was caught. The ship didn't go into the storm. The, sh- the storm caught the ship. And then it drove the ship. In your life, Christian, you're going to go through storms. Storms happen. There's no stopping it. There's no stop. There's no avoiding it. You can live a very noble, good, upright life, and you will still hit storms. Storms will catch you. Think about Paul the Apostle has really not done anything wrong, and he's in the midst of a storm. And you would think, God, don't you care? Don't you run the weather systems? Like, don't you care that this guy is your prisoner, and he's serving you, and he wants to bring the gospel to Rome? Don't you want to get him there? And the storm still happens. And I love the fact that this storm, this, this storm happens to Paul because it's a reminder that when you face storms, it's not because you did something bad all the time, not necessarily all the time. When you hit storms in your life, it's, it's not because somebody uh, hates you or, or you uh, are paying for past sins or uh, something in your future, um, it, 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 you're going to do something wrong there, so there's a storm coming now. No, just storms just happen. And I think sometimes we obsess about the storm. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? We're all obsessing. Why did God let this happen to me? I wish that this never, how can I get out of this? And, and, and sometimes we waste so much energy trying to figure out the why of the storm rather than the what we should do in the storm. What's your storm? What, what storm has caught you lately? A relational storm, financial storm, obstacle of life, mission storm, COVID-19. Is that your storm? Storms happen in life. And there's no stopping it. And then they drive you. And I, I hate that term, but it's true. Your storms are going to happen, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. They're going to they're gonna bring you to, to different places where you weren't intending on going. And, and that's just life. And that's how it happens. And it's even going to happen to you when you are being faithful to the Lord. And so maybe this story is in Acts chapter 27. So that you can stop beating yourself up over all the hardships that you went through and start learning what you should do in the midst of the hardships that you might be experiencing right now. Verse 18, uh, it says this, Since we were were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. So not throwing things overboard. They're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be pretty bad. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Yikes! (laughs) this is Paul the Apostle and Luke the Bible writer saying this together. They're saying the storm was so bad, we were convinced we weren't going to make it. We were convinced this was the end. Now i got a question for you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that point where you think the marriage is not going to make it? The child is not going to recover. The sickness is not going to go away. The finances are never going to be there. Have you ever gotten to that point where you think, that's it? <laughs> You're in good company. Paul the Apostle felt that way. It's not like it says here in verse 20 that everybody thought we were going to die, but there was Paul, and he was saying, no, we got this. No, Paul himself was like, we're going to die. <laughs> I've been in storms before. This is really bad. You should have listened to me. You should have listened to me. This is really bad. 
And you have to wonder again, the Lord controls the weather, right? Exodus chapter 13, uh, Ezekiel 13, 13 says, the Lord God says, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath. The Lord is in charge of storms. Matthew 8, 26 and 27, remember Jesus called the storm with his word. Peace be still. And the storm was silent. Psalm 135, verse 7 says, it is he who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. God is in charge of the weather. I think about all these climate change alarmists. How we always like to think we're causing everything that's happening with the climate. Oh, it's always our fault. It's just another way of us acting like we're our own God, isn't it? We're, we're, we're making the weather happen. We're changing the climate. Oh, give me a freaking break. <laughs> God is in charge of that stuff. God takes care of that stuff. Should we, should we ruin the planet? No. But at the same time, let's not panic because God is over all. He is sovereign over the stuff. If the Lord is in charge of the weather, though, it begs the question, why wouldn't he just give Paul a peaceful journey? And maybe you say that to God sometimes. God, why can't you just make this easier? Why can't this marriage just be a little bit easier? Why can't this relationship just be a little bit easier? Why do you have to make this job so hard? Or why does serving you sometimes feel like it is slower than living a non-Christian life? Why does it feel like it takes me longer to get to where I'm going when my friends who don't serve Jesus are getting there in half the time? Have you ever asked that question? <laughs> you will. Because sometimes this is what happens to you as a Christian. And the Lord let this happen to Paul to teach us valuable lessons today that, yes, sometimes God sends a storm in our life. Sometimes he hinders our progress, even in his plan. But it is not without important reasons. And the reasons are life lessons that we need to take, not just for our own experience, but for the experience of those that we will one day have the opportunity to minister to. Let's continue. Verse 21, it says this. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, and I love Paul here, you should have listened. <laughs> I know the seas. I've been on the seas. I've been shipwrecked three times, okay? You should have listened to me. And it should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. In other words, the ship's going down, but there will be no loss of life. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of God, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And, before, and behold, sorry, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Oh, I love this because earlier Paul was like, you know, I know the seas and you shouldn't go this way. And now he's actually saying, wait a second, it's not what I know about the seas that's giving me advice for you. It's what I know about my God that's giving me advice for you. So in the middle of the night, while everybody's about to die and everybody's about to lose their life and they all think it's hopeless and lost and even Paul himself thinks it's hopeless, guess what? God speaks. God says, okay, Paul, I got this. You're gonna stand before Caesar. Oh, and by the way, let everybody know on the ship that as long as they stay on the ship, they're gonna live. The ship's gonna die. The ship's gonna crash. The ship's gonna be destroyed, but the people are gonna, be, the people are gonna live. And I just think that there's a lesson there for us in our lives. Everything else other than your soul will one day deteriorate. Everything else in your life will, will one day be taken away from you, ripped away from you, destroyed, deteriorate, decay, whatever you want to say, lost, okay? That's life. The one thing that lasts eternally is your soul. And so often we are so concerned with all the material things in our lives and we ignore the spiritual reality of our lives. And then when the storms of life come, we all freak out because we haven't fed the soul 
We haven't reminded the soul that that's most important. We've worried about our things. We're worried about our stuff. And so stuff gets start, start, starts to get taken away from us and starts to get lost in our lives. And then we freak out. Well, look, this is a reminder. Wait, pay attention to your soul. Do some soul care. And so I've got some lessons for you. And I think it's all from this chapter. I got some lessons for you of what you do in the midst of a storm that's going to make you stronger for the storms of life that are inevitably going to come. Number one, in the midst of a storm, number one, remember whose you are and who you value most. Remember whose you are and who you value most. Let's go back, because what does Paul say? The God to whom I belong, I'm his, and whom I worship, I value him. He is my most important possession in life. He is my most important being, person, relationship in my life, and I am his. So in a storm, remember whose you are. I am God's. Jesus bought me with his precious blood and my life is in his hands and I am not my own. It is not my life. It is not my body. It is not my money. It is not my wife. It is not my children. It is not my house. It is God's. And I'll tell you something, the sooner that you get to that point in your life, the sooner you will live with the peace of God in your life. If you want to freak out and try to orchestrate everything and control everything and own everything and not really, you know, surrender to God, well, you have my permission. Actually, you have God's permission, but it's just going to produce anxiety in your life. Sometimes the greatest thing we can do is just remind ourselves that the job that we have, this is actually God's job. The home we have, the friends we have, it's God's. One of the things that I constantly remind myself is with the people in my church is these are God's people. They're not my people. I didn't die for them. I didn't shed any blood for these people. It's God's. So what happens with them is actually up to him. I just got to be faithful with my, pla- my place in the body. That's all I got to do. Just be faithful to do what he wants me to do and trust him with the results. Same thing for you. If you're a mom and you're stressing out about COVID, stressing out about your, your, your children, they're not yours. They're his. Tr- treat them as his children. Treat them as his possessions. Relax a little bit because it's, it's, it's his child. It's his marriage. It's his family, okay? I love Psalm 95, verse six and seven. It says this. Oh, come, let us worship. Okay, so there's that word again. Let's value the Lord. Let's worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we, look at this, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We are his people and his sheep. In other words, I am not my own. I am God's. And it is my job as a Christian to surrender my life regularly to his plan of purpose. Isaiah 43. I love this passage. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, he who created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel, fear not. Don't you love this? Don't you love the fact that he says, oh, remember I created you and I formed you, therefore fear not. The reason why we do not fear is because the Lord created us and formed us. The reason why you do not fear, the reason why you do not give up into anxiety is because you know the Lord created you and the Lord formed you. And then he says, I have redeemed you. I've paid for you. That's a, that's a financial term, by the way, in the Old Testament. He's saying, I paid for you. I bought you. I've called you by my name. You are mine. And then the promise, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers and through the storms. Okay? They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. Fire will not consume you. I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Christian Siva, in exchange for you. One of the greatest things you can do in the midst of a storm is remind yourself that you belong to him, and he's got you in the palm of his hand. Let's go on. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, 
As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther, they took another sounding and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So now these guys who were just basically transporting Paul the prisoner for Christ to Rome are now praying. God is working on people's hearts even in the midst of the storms all around you. Verse 30 says this, And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and they lowered their ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the boat, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, look at this, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. you got to stay in the boat. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Now the ship's boat, okay, that's, it's the, what do you call it? The dinghy, the uh, rescue boat, the, the, the escape boat, whatever you want to call it. They, 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 were, they were making plans to get out of the boat and uh, ride the rescue raft to safety. And Paul says, no, you want to survive? Stay in the ship. Okay, so let me use that as point number two, because this is, this is how you get through a storm. In the midst of the storm, number two, stay in the ship. Stay in the ship. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, don't jump ship. <laughs> what I mean is when storms happen, we tend to freak out and then we want to jump out or check out. Sometimes we want to escape. I'll just go get another family. I'll just go get another spouse. They don't appreciate me. Let me go find somebody who'll appreciate me. <laughs> the problem is wherever you go, there you are. So the same problems that you brought into that marriage, you're going to bring into the next marriage. Well, I'll just move to another country. Wherever you go, there you are. Well, I'll just find another job. Well, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't move. I'm not saying you shouldn't find another place to live. Those are perfectly fine, admirable op op opportunities. Getting another job, nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that sometimes you forfeit great potential in a certain position because you think, if I just get out of this position, I'll find people who really appreciate me, and then I'll finally be satisfied. Well, that's not always the case. Be careful that you don't search for escapes in the midst of your storms. That's what drinking is, by the way. That's what alcoholism is. You know what alcoholism is? Alcoholism is usually somebody took a couple of sips of tequila one night because they couldn't sleep, and then before you know it, they're taking five sips, and then six sips, and then seven sips, and then seven cups, and seven shots. You know, seven shots a night to just fall asleep and to just, you know, escape the pain. That's what suicide is. Suicide is ultimately an escape. That's why people commit suicide today. They commit suicide today because they want to escape. They want to escape the pain. They want to jump ship. And here's what you have to understand. God knows who you are in Christ Jesus. He knows you. He loves you. And he does not bring you into the storm to sink you. He brings you into the storm to prove that he's faithful to get you where he called you in spite of what seems to be holding you back. This is our promise in Christ. So I want to say something to you who are watching. Maybe you're in that rough time. You got young children and you're getting no sleep and you're taking it out on each other. Well, stay in the marriage. You know, marriage, you get to that point where you just put so much work in, it's not worth it to start over again. <laughs> My wife and I tell ourselves this all the time. I don't want to start over. You know, I might not like you very much right now, but I don't want to start over with someone new. I got a lot of work vested in you, right? Stay in the job. Loyalty is rewarded many, many times. People don't understand. Loyalty is often rewarded. Don't always look for a way out. And here's, what, here's the impetus scripturally for me about staying loyal. Jesus is loyal. Jesus is loyal, right? What does he say in Matthew 28? He says, I'm with you until the very end of the age. Now you think about this. If Jesus is loyal enough to me to not give up on me with all my foibles and all my failures and all my problems and all my doubts and all my inconsistencies, and if he's still loyal to me, 
Maybe I should follow his example and be loyal to the things that I'm involved with. Stay in the ship. Know who you are, whose you are, and who you value, and then stay in the ship. Let's move on. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've all continued in suspense and without food. I mean, imagine this. 14 days. That's two weeks. 14 days you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Okay. Number three, in the midst of a storm, when you're traveling through a storm, practice self-care. Practice self-care. If there's one thing that we tend to do when we're going through tough times is we tend to let our emotions sabotage our habits. Our emotions sabotage our habits. And I'm talking about good habits. Habits like eating. <laughs> That's a good habit, right? Sleeping and exercising. Um, go to the doctor. What is he going to tell you? Go to the doctor. What is he going to tell you tomorrow? You know, you really should eat better, better and you really should uh, exercise and you probably should get more sleep. <laughs> it's amazing how we, we, we just want the doctor to give us a pill. Just give me a pill. Just give me a pill and it'll fix this. Well, if you just ate and slept and exercised, you'd probably be much better. You say, well, I can't sleep. Exercise more. It's just common sense, isn't it? I can't sleep at night. Okay, exercise. Now, don't exercise right before bed. That'll just keep you up because your blood flow will get going. But exercise in the morning. Wear yourself out during the day. Do something that gets your blood flowing and, and strains your muscles so that when you lay your head on the bed, you're exhausted. You're ready to go sleep. Don't be, uh, don't be doing this late at night on your bed for hours and then say, well, I can't sleep because there's blue light that keeps you awake. Think about these things. Don't drink coffee. I, uh, years ago, I couldn't sleep, and I was like, what was going on? I was drinking coffee past 6 p.m. I stopped. This was recently, about four months ago. I stopped drinking coffee at, four, at 6 p.m. I sleep like a baby now. I sleep great. It, it, you, you can set yourself up for great sleep if you do the things during the day, like eating and exercising, that will help you fall asleep. And then you get good sleep, and you wake up, and you're ready to tackle the world the next day. Practice self-care when you're in the midst of a storm because the storm wants to upset those good habits and you've got to be resolute about these things. And here Paul says, hey, everybody, I know we're all stressed. It's been 14 days. Let's have something to eat. And sometimes you need somebody to just tell you that. Somebody need, you, sometimes you need somebody to just tell you, hey, you need to just like eat something and, and sleep and rest. You know, God is not unaware of your weaknesses. He's not, he's not unaware that you can't do it all. And somebody need to hear this message. Psalm 103 says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He's compassionate because he knows all we are is dirt. So he's not expecting you to conquer the world tomorrow. He, he's actually expecting you to rest. Sleep it off. Take care of yourself. I think about Elijah when he runs from Jezebel. Remember Elijah? He calls down fire from heaven. He kills the false prophets Baal. He challenges King Ahab. He's the one man willing to stand up to the powers that be and stand for God. And then Jezebel says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill you. And he runs. He freaks out. He runs for his life. What happens? It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, I love this passage. He went himself a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life away for I'm no better than my father's. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to jump ship. He wanted to escape. He wanted to get out. 
Love what God does here. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he wakes up, and he sees that the angel had made him breakfast. He woke up to angel food cake. <laughs> it's a preacher joke. Uh, anyway, this is what God does. He just said, look, feed your body. Sometimes fasting is good. Sometimes fasting is the last thing you need to do. All right? Practice self-care. Let's go on. Verse 35. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. It's funny how Paul leads the way here. He eats, and then they're like, all right, maybe we should eat. Verse 37, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, now, now this is interesting. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship. <laughs> Number four. Okay, practice self-care, and then lighten your load. In the midst of a storm, learn how to lighten your load. In fact, load. In fact, even when you're not in a storm, it's a good idea to lighten your load. Get rid of some stuff. Uh, you know, some of the most miserable people in the world are the people who have the most stuff. Because stuff, we think, own, we, think we own stuff, it really actually ends up owning us. So, so you buy the enormous house, but then you've got to clean it. You've got to heat it. You've got to cool it. You buy the expensive car, but then nobody else can touch it because it's really expensive. You, you buy the new fandangled instrument or new fandangled technology device, and I'm all for technology. You look at my desk here, for heaven's sake, but, but sometimes we get so enamored by this stuff, we, it, it has a hold on our hearts. And we just think more money, more money. More money will solve my problems. Not necessarily. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus talks about the, the seed sown on the soils, and one of the soils was the thorns, and the thorns stand, Matthew 13, 22 says, for the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. The deceitfulness of riches. Why does he say the deceitfulness, not just riches, but the deceitfulness of riches? Why? Because riches deceive you. First, they convince you that they will make you safe, and then when you get them, all they tell you is, we might leave at any moment. <laughs> that's, what, that's what riches do. That's what money does. Money tells you, I could protect you, and then you get a hold of it, and you give your life for it, and then it says, at any moment, I could leave you, and then you worry, and you struggle to hold on to it. It's deceitful. It's a liar. This is why God alone is enough. He's faithful. He's, he's committed to you. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we had food and clothing, look at that. Food and clothing, we'll be content. Why? Because those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. All you got to do is watch one of those e true Hollywood stories, one of those biographies about somebody who chased the good life, chased the fame, chased the fortune, chased the popularity, and they got it, and they were miserable. Over and over and over again, the world gives us illustration after illustration of exactly what Paul's talking here. And he says in verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Last week I talked to you about obedience is for your sake, not for God's sake. Contentment is for your sake, not for God's sake. 
I love what the Robert writer of Proverbs says. Proverbs 3, uh, 30, verse 8, it says, Make me not poor or rich. Just give me what is needful of me. Because if I become rich, I might deny you and say, Who is the Lord? If I become poor, I might curse you. I've always loved that passage. In other words, Lord, just give me what I need. Give me what I should have. Because I don't want what I have to become my God, to become my everything. Riches give us more anxiety than anything. Ecclesiastes 5.12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, but he eats, uh, whether he eats little or much, but the stomach, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Listen to that again because I butchered it. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5.12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. In other words, you can be full and rich and have all these things, but then you just got to worry about them all the time. Anxious. James 4 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions that are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet. You, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, the constant desire for things brings more division into your life. The more you want things, the more you will use people to get those things. And guess what that means? The less true friends you have because you've spent your life using people to get things. Maybe for you, something other than money has to go. Maybe you need to lighten the load with some of your non-essential, non-self-care habits. Something like Facebook. What would happen to your life if you just cut off Facebook? Please don't do that during this broadcast, by the way. <laughs> Maybe your life would be better, though, without it. Maybe your life would be better without social media. Maybe your life would be better without that certain friend that's always bringing you down. Maybe your life would be better without that habit that you just think is so worth it, but it just hurts you again and again and again. I, I wonder what needs to go in your ship so that you can make it through the storm. Lighten the load. You don't need to carry all these things through life with you. Let's continue. Verse 39, now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them into the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tie the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. By striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Verse 42. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. That includes Paul. Lest anyone should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. By the way, just pause here. Remember, Paul was the one that promised everybody would survive. Now they want to kill Paul. <laughs> Sometimes you'll do good and people will still hate you. Sometimes you'll do exactly what God wants you to do, and you'll... Help people and love people, and they'll still want to kill you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And thus concludes Paul's ship uh, voyage in Acts chapter 27. So let's turn the page to Acts 28 because I got one more point for you about what to do in the midst of a storm, all right? Verse 28 says this, and after, the, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had been begun to rain. There we go again, another. Oh, there we go, there's the rain. Another rainy moment. When Paul, look at this, verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. 
When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So could you just imagine this moment for Paul? He's just been through this, this horrible moment on the sea. He's been through this terrible time. And now the, the centurion barely saves his life from being, from being taken from him. And he's probably hungry and he's you know, tired and he's exhausted. And he just finds some kindness from these strangers on Malta. And he's like, okay, let's make a fire. So I'll make a fire. And he grabs some, some sticks and, and one of the sticks is a serpent and it just lunges onto his hand and latches on. And, and you just think if you're Paul, you're, you just be like, what the heck is going on? But not this Paul. Look what it says. Verse five. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And I love sometimes the Bible is just funny. Look at this. Then they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> so obviously these people need Jesus, right? They need, they need the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul's going to bring them while he's here on the island of Malta. And, and we're going to stop here uh, in the book of Acts chapter 28, and we'll, we'll continue in two weeks and finish off uh, season three. But I just, I just think about this thing, that, that Paul has been through this horrible storm, this horrible tragedy, this, this terribly long season of, of experiencing all this hardship, and, and all while he is trying to do what God wants him to do. And then he gets struck by the serpent, and I just love his response to the serpent. He's just like, eh, just shake it off. So after the storm, number five, shake it off. After the storm of life, learn how to shake it off. You got to let the, the, the storm um, not live longer than it did. And by that, I mean in your mind, in your heart. Let it be a testimony, okay? Let it be a testimony of God's grace and God's faithfulness. I opened up by talking about a storm that I went through, but I, I would never take that storm back in my life for anything. It turned out for my good. It was character shaping and trust developing, and it rooted me deeper in Christ. You know what happens when I go through a storm, and I hope it happens for you. I get on my knees more than normal, and my roots go down deeply into Christ. And I don't always feel his presence. I don't always feel the emotional, you know, lift. But things happen when you're going through those storms and you're searching and seeking God you find him. Scripture says that when we seek him with all of our hearts, we find him. And so sometimes that storm just is there to get you to seek him so that you learn how to shake little things off. So in conclusion, let's wrap it up by repeating these points. In the midst of a storm, remember who you are and who you value most. In other words, don't stop worshiping. And don't stop, giving, don't stop giving your life to Christ again and again and again in terms of surrender. Number two, stay in the ship. Don't give up. Don't look for the escape. Number three, practice self-care. Eat something. Exercise. Sleep. Lighten the load, number four. And then when it's over, shake it off. I bring you back to Proverbs 19.21, which was last week we ended with this first verse. Because sometimes we're going through those storms and we're stuck and we're feeling like God is you know, holding us back, or life is holding us back, or the world is holding us back. Well, many are the plans in the minds of a man, Proverbs 19.21 says, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So I know at the end of the day, my life is in his hand and his purposes. We're going to be back in two weeks, so please, please, please don't 
Don't avoid next uh, in two weeks. Don't forget. I know we're not going to be here next Tuesday, so block party at our church next Tuesday. We will be back on the deep end in two weeks, and I make sure that you like and subscribe. Please, I want to make sure that you like and subscribe on youtube.com slash TV. youtube.com slash TV. And when we come back in two weeks, this is why you don't want to miss, when we come back in two weeks, we're going to reveal what season four of The Deep End is going to be about. And I'm going to tell you, I'm very excited. We're going to show you that next time we're together on Tuesday night. So tune in in two weeks and find out as we conclude the book of Acts. Season three is over in two weeks. And then season four starts up again. And we will be back with a brand new biblical emphasis. I look forward to sharing that with you. I look forward to seeing you next time on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.